0: Thank you. Hey, if you've been with us in our Identity Series so far, you'll know that we've, looked at, we've been looking at the story of Jacob and of Joseph, and you may have noticed that their stories and their characters are quite different. Jacob gets a lot of things wrong in his life, and you'll, you'll notice, you'll uh, noticed, and we've been through, how he spends a lot of time trying to force the promises of God. Joseph, on the other hand, gets most stuff right. I mean, sure, at the start, when he's a younger guy, he... he disrespects his family and is is pretty unhelpful to them. But beyond that, he he does pretty well. He tends to to act in a really uh, honourable way. Until now. In this passage in Genesis 47, we see one of the rare times where Joseph does something really wrong. Even though by this point of the story, he's one of the most powerful and successful people on the planet. If you're new to church and and, and new to the Bible, um, I actually think you're at an advantage reading this story because... I think you'll see what Joseph does wrong much quicker. Um, if, you're not, if you've read this uh, story many times before, you might miss it unless you read it very carefully. If you've got a Bible, I'm, we're going to turn to Genesis 47, I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm going to put the words up. There was no food, however, in the whole region, because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food, why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph, I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and the land may uh, may not become desolate. Um, So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other, However, he did not buy the land of the priests, because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seeds for the fields and food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now you might read this and you might just think, well, this is just kind of boring government administration. Well, first of all, I work in government administration, so I take offence to that. Not really, but I actually think there's a lot more to it in this passage, because I think what we're actually seeing here is Joseph's gradual slide into the misuse of his power. Let me give you some context. Uh, As you as you know, if you've been following this series, Joseph has been basically given full control of the land of Egypt by Pharaoh. He's pretty much the prime minister. He's been given he's been put in charge, and they had the Egypt had seven years of abundance. They had seven years of plenty where they were getting um, a a huge amount of grain coming in. So Joseph, understandably and sensibly, budgets that. He charges a 20% tax, collects 20% of that grain, and puts it in storehouses to keep for the famine. There's so much grain that the Bible says it's like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. And so what's happened here is there's so much famine, the famine is so severe that the only reliable source of food in Egypt is Joseph. And he takes that leverage that he's got from the people, and honestly, he abuses that position. Now, as is often the case in the Old Testament, the Bible doesn't specify precisely whether this is a, a, a positive or a negative action from Joseph. But there's two reasons why I think what he's doing is an abuse of power and is a sinful action. The first one is fairly simple. As I mentioned, he collected the grain from the Egyptians so that he could store it in storehouses. And yet somehow this ends with him selling it back to them. He's taken something from them and then selling it back to them for money. In fact, it's so much money that the passage we just read says he collects all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan. The Egyptian economy is broken. Because one person has literally all of the money in the land. Then he, they run out of money, so he says, OK. They, they come to him and say, well, we haven't got any money. And Joseph says, OK, well, well, sell me your livestock then. Which, on the face of it, sounds reasonable. Because on the face of it, livestock need feeding. If you haven't got enough grain, hey, taking the livestock off your hands actually is a double win. But it's important to look at what he specifically took from them. The passage says that he took their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. Now you might have noticed that among those things, particularly horses and donkeys, they're not bred for food. They're not bred for produce. They're in the farm to work. They're in the farm to plow fields. They're in the the farm to carry stuff, to bring stuff to market. What Joseph's doing by making the Egyptians sell their livestock to him, he's making them more dependent on him. It's the equivalent of getting a a, 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 a lorry driver to sell their lorry as a way of short. It's a short-term gain, but it's going to cause it massive damage later on. And then he falls further. Because what happens after that is the Egyptians come to him and say, oh, "We haven't got anything anymore. We've got no way of supporting ourselves. All we've got is our land and ourselves." why don't you just make us why don't you just make us servants to pharaoh now at this point you would hope that joseph who has shown in the past that he is capable of resisting temptation and shown that he can reject these things uh, reject uh, sinful suggestions from people you would hope that he would go whoa whoa, okay that that one's too far um i understand you're desperate we're going to come up with a better solution but he doesn't. He doesn't. He goes, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I'll make you slaves. Um, And and people kind of historically have defended this decision from Joseph. They've defended why he's doing it. And they've said, oh, well, the Egyptians suggested it, so obviously it's fine. They're suggesting it because they're starving and they're desperate. Desperate people do not make wise decisions. If you don't believe me, we've got evidence of that today. There is an entire industry of loan companies that are set up to take money from people when they're desperate. People sign up for these things, but they're charged extortionate rates to pay for them. Don't mistake the fact that the Egyptians seem relieved that they're not going to die in the next year for the fact that what Joseph is doing is abuse. The second way um, that I think we can show that this is Joseph abusing his power is by looking at the way God sets up a society. So when we look in, in, uh, later in the Bible, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see the way God would set up a society. And Joseph, as a man following God, would hopefully un- would reflect the character of God. So let's look at how God tells his people to treat the poor. In Leviticus 19, it says... When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God actually says this a few times in that law. He actually says it again, uh, rephrases it again in Deuteronomy 24, and he provides a justification for it. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. You know who else was a slave in Egypt? Joseph. Now, don't get me wrong. um, These laws hadn't been written when Joseph was acting here. So uh, he, he was not aware of these laws because they'd not been written. But these laws were written by Moses, who also wrote what we now call the book, of, what is the book of Genesis. So the reader of this story that Moses has decided to include would have been aware of the law that, um, that I've just shared with you. And you know what? They would have seen it. The early reader would have seen this as a gross misuse of power on Joseph's part. And, you know, they might actually have seen it as being very similar behavior to the Pharaoh that they fled from in the book of Exodus. Which begs the question then, how, how, does, this, how does this happen? How do we get here? How does Joseph, who is one of the better patriarchs, the guy who, who resists the temptation of Potiphar's wife, who resists um, uh, taking all the glory for himself with Pharaoh, but gives the glory to God, how does that guy fall, not just just in general, but when he's at the height of his wealth and status? How does that happen? Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's because he's at the height of his wealth and status. You see, Joseph isn't the only guy in the Bible to fall into that trap. David, the King David, later in the Bible, he commits his greatest sins at the height of his power. Solomon... Uh, the, the wise king, um, when he's at the height of his power, he uh, sins with, uh, through lust and through decadence in a way that would make Tony Stark blush. These guys fall at the height of their power. And what happens is, they part, they're, they're given two tests. And they pass the test of the difficult life, but then they fail the test of the easy one. Which on it originally sounds weird, but actually when you think about it, there's a logic to this. Because when life's difficult, it can be quite easy to follow God purely because you've got no other option. It's easy to rely on God when everything else around you is crumbling because he is your only option. But you know, when your life's going well and you feel like you've got control of things, that's when it can be really easy to depend on yourself because you think you've got options. And you know, the devil loves doing that. The devil loves saying, saying to people that they don't need God and that they don't need to depend on him. And he loves coming in at the times where they're most vulnerable to that. And what happens is you think you can depend on yourself and so you turn away from God even just for a bit and that's when you fall into sin. There's a quote often attributed to uh, Abraham Lincoln, one of the great presidents of the United States. He may well have not said it, but it is an excellent quote, so I'm going to pretend he said it. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And that's what happens to Joseph here. He gets to a point where he's got his own power. He's got his own influence that he can rely on. And so he decides to use that for his own gain. He uses his influence to make the Egyptians slaves. Power can have such an awful effect on people. There's actually psychological studies about this. There's a famous study called the Stanford Prison Experiment, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, But essentially what happened is they decided to test the effects of power on people. And um, what they did is they took uh, two groups of volunteers, and they made one of them the prisoners and one of them the guards. And then the plan was to leave them there for, um, I believe it was six weeks, it may not have been that length of time, but for a while, and just watch how um, how power inf- interacted. And uh, the experiment had to be called off about a week in because the guards were mistreating and humiliating the prisoners so badly that the prisoners were having to go on hunger strike, they were having to barricade themselves in, and actually there was severe physical, emotional and mental damage being done purely because these guards had been given power and been told, you're in control here. But you know, you probably didn't need me to talk about psychological experiments. You probably didn't need me to tell you that people misuse power. It's all around us. Whether it's, it's something international like the... The, the Me Too movement that we're hearing about at the moment, whether it's something more personal. Maybe it's a, it's a rogue landlord who's treating you badly. Maybe it's a bully at school. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your spouse. This is a sin that many people fall into. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that churches are immune to this, but they're, they're just not. Um, I thank God for the fact that I've never been in a church where I feel like the power's been abused, but it it does happen. It's one of the reasons why we have a team of elders here at Everyday Church is is so that multiple people are accountable and multiple people have that power and they are accountable to each other. All you've got to do is look a little bit into church history and you will see examples of church leaders getting drunk on their power and doing some horrendous things to people power can have such an awful effect on people and you know for many of us particularly particularly those of us living in london where i live this is such a live issue this is such a significant issue because most of us have have either uh, formal power or influence over someone somewhere in our lives Um, and joseph's story joseph's story is a warning to us because what we actually see here is not just the immediate impact of what Joseph does to, to the Egyptians, but we actually see Joseph laying a foundation here. Joseph starts a culture here. And what I mean by that is, um, there's a real, uh, this kind of amazing symmetry in the story of, of the house of Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, tricks his father, Isaac, with a, with a goat. He pretends to be his brother by wrapping himself in a goat. And then his sons trick him uh, joseph's dead with the blood of a goat joseph is is sold for silver and he then plants silver on his brothers to test them later in the story joseph brings slavery to the egyptians a few hundred years later the egyptians bring slavery to the israelites and it is much, much harsher than what Joseph does here. Believe me, I'm not trying to equate the quality of the two. What happens to the Israelites is significantly worse. But what ha- the foundations of that, of centralizing power to Pharaoh, bringing all this power on Pharaoh, and making people his slaves, Joseph starts that. When we have power and influence, we, we can set the foundations of a culture, which is what Joseph does. We can set a culture of, of mistreatment, of abuse and of pain. Or, or we can set a culture of freedom, a culture that builds people, that gives them joy, that treats them with, with dignity and respect. Power is a great opportunity to love people. Imagine with me, if you, if you will, a place where people don't abuse their power, a world where, where power is used for the benefit of others, not purely for selfish ego trips and, and uh, uh, self-satisfaction. Imagine if everyone in the world used their power in a way that benefited society the best. Poverty would be over like that. We would solve it in a year. There would be no refugee crisis, in, as there is in Europe and the Middle East at the moment, because there would be no reason for people to flee their homes. Social media would have nothing to complain about. Uh, don't get me wrong. The world wouldn't be perfect. We'd still be broken by sin in other ways. Uh, this is not a, a silver bullet, but it would be so much better. We could make such a it could make such a positive difference to so many lives. You can be that change in your personal kingdom. The difference between uh, a good boss and a bad boss can make the difference whether can make the difference in someone's life between misery and happiness and fulfilment. The difference between uh, seeing an outsider at school or university and treating them as a friend and reaching out to them or deciding to, to make fun of them can make an enormous difference to their lives. You can be that difference. You've got a smaller area of influence than Joseph did, but you can be that difference. You can use power, your power and influence to show the love of God to the people around you. And his, that is God's plan for your power. God has all power is given by God and people who steward that power well can show God's love to a great, a great number of people in such a powerful way. Whether it's your workplace, whether it's your, your, your friendship groups, whether it's family, whether it's, it's church if you steward that power that God has given you and use it well, you can bless people and you can show people the love of God. Which is easy for me to say. Um, It's a lot easier said than done. One uh, One of the great challenges of being a preacher is you can basically encourage people to do anything but that doesn't make it easy. That doesn't make it possible for people. You've got to, it's very easy to, to say, wouldn't this be perfect? Wouldn't it be amazing if none of us sinned anymore? Let's not go and sin anymore. It's not that simple. And this is a test that Joseph failed. This is a test that David failed, that Solomon failed. The greatest patriarch, the, the greatest warrior, the wisest king, they all fail. So what hope have we got? How do we get there? Well, the short answer is you can't just see the picture and work out how to get there. You can't just see what this looks like and then work out, oh, that's how I make it. Uh, For example, mundane example, I really enjoy cooking. Um, I'm all right at it. I'm not going to be having any reality shows anytime soon. But uh, I enjoy cooking. And when the first time you cook a recipe, you can't just stare at a picture of the recipe and then decide, oh, now I know how to make this. For example, this is a picture of a lovely spaghetti bolognese. It looks great, doesn't it? But if you don't know how to make this thing, it's going to be quite difficult. For example, I I had a friend, and I use this for a reason, I had a friend who looked at a picture of spaghetti bolognese and decided to make some spaghetti bolognese. He did a few things that were interesting. Um, The first thing is instead of tomatoes, he decided to use tomato ketchup. Um, Instead of of beef mince, which is traditional in the Bolognese, he decided to use a thing called Spam, which you may have heard of. Um, It's a sort of gelatinized pork. It's awful. Um, And then he realized it wasn't brown enough, so he put some soy sauce in it. Um, He didn't understand how to cook pasta, so he just put raw spaghetti in it, which ended up being pretty crunchy, I think. And the whole thing was a complete mess. I think he ate it. He was a student at the time, so food kind of came where it could. But it wasn't a spaghetti bolognese. And the reason I tell you that story is because it's a story that you can't just look at a picture and figure something out. You need to be shown how. In this case, he needed to look at a recipe and some basic common sense. But he needed to, to be shown how to do it by someone who knew how to do it. So when it comes to stewarding our power well, we need to look at someone who did it well. Well, there's no one more powerful than God. There's no one that's ever even been on his level. And there's no one that's ever used power better than God has either. He, cre- he used his power to create innumerable stars and galaxies, to create trillions of species on earth, billions of humans, you and me. And his power sustains creation to this day. He is the most powerful best user of power in the history of the universe and his son jesus who could have rightfully stayed there with his father stayed in in uh using uh, with uh, in fellowship with his dad and never come anywhere near our sinful creatures he decided to do how paul puts it in the letter to the philippians he being in very nature god Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is not like Joseph. See, Joseph charges a huge price. For the salvation that he brings. Jesus pays a huge price for the true salvation that he brings. Joseph provides food, which many would consider life. He keep, which food that, that will keep you going, but ultimately you will have to come back for. He didn't provide anything that will last eternally. Jesus provides food that lasts He provides bread that lost. Whoever eats the bread that Jesus provides will never be hungry again. It's bread that will bring eternal life in him. Jesus is the best example of the use of humility in power because he took his power and he used it for our benefit, not for his. He gave up his power. He did something he never had to do. He tasted death. He never needed to do that, but he gave up his power and did that. For us. Friends, that's how, that's how Jesus wants us to use our power. He doesn't want us to be a, a collection of little tyrants trying to, trying to build ourselves up and tear everyone else down. He doesn't want us to be a bunch of egos. Rather, he wants us to be a community of God's children, to love each other, our friends, our families, our towns and our nations. That's why we're here to show the love of God to people. And we can only do that through stu- stewarding our power well. Well, how do we become a community like that? It's really simple it's understanding the work of Jesus and understanding what he's done for us and our lives. Because you see, when you see the glory that comes from the ultimate use of power, from that ultimate sacrifice, of Jesus, it becomes so much easier to use your power well. It's so much easier to use power well when you realize what using power well has done for you. And if you struggle with that, if that's something that you know in your heart, you know, I, I find it, I have, a, I have a pride issue, I have an ego issue, I want to use my power to, to uh, make myself better. This is an issue for me. I've got some good news. Jesus is the answer to that. All you've got to do is come to him because he wants to help you with that. He wants to help you steward your power better. He wants to teach you more about him. And this doesn't it doesn't matter how well you know him. This is not a, you don't have to pass a theory test to be able to come to Jesus to get him to uh, to get him to teach you about him and to get to know him. You just have to come to him we're going to have an opportunity to come to Jesus. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to this and come to him. And I want to encourage you to take it wherever you are. But, you know, I'm aware, I was aware as I was preparing this that you might not identify with Joseph in this story. It's quite easy, I think, for for uh, me in southwest London to think, oh yeah, the person that we'd look at in this story is, is Joseph because He's prosperous and I live in quite a prosperous city. So, yeah, it would be easy for that to happen. That's who we'll all identify with. But you know what? Um, you might identify more with the Egyptians in this story. You might be a victim of someone abusing their power right now. You know, actually, I I pray right now that there are people that are watching this that are, vic- that are victims of abuse of power because I just, I really, God, I think God wants to say to you, he's not. It may feel like he's forgotten you, but I promise you he hasn't. God has not forgotten you. Friends, if you're being oppressed by someone, Jesus came for you. In the Gospels, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Put your trust in God and he will rescue you. That's why Jesus came. It may happen today. I pray to God that if that's you, I pray that you get freed from that today. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but one day, the promise of God is that he will. He will rescue you. When Jesus returns, the Lord of creation will make right all things. He'll make right all things. The reality of this world is that people will mistreat each other. The reality of sin is that people will abuse their power and do their best to get ahead. And realistically, at some point or another, we'll all be under the power of someone who misuses their power over us. We'll all be mistreated by someone in power. Could be a whole bunch of people. But it'll happen at some point. And when you are, when that happens to you, if that's happening to you now, we want you to come to us as a church. We can provide support as a church. We can help as a church. That's, that's what we're here to do. But the real answer, the only, the only true hope can only come from Jesus. You just have to come to him. You know, two groups of people come to Joseph in their desperation. Uh, the Egyptians come and they say, we're starving and we're desperate. So they're sold salvation at a high price. But earlier in the story, in the verses before the ones we read today, Joseph's family come to him. Passage says there's uh, there's there's seventy of them, and that's not including uh, uh, Jacob's sons' wives, and it's also not including their animals. Now these guys are shepherds, so realistically, there's going to be quite a few animals. And they're not the people that Joseph has been given the job of protecting, but their family. So what does he do? He gives them the best land in Egypt. He takes them to Pharaoh, gives them an audience with Pharaoh himself. He gives them all the food they need, which again is is going to be a decent amount of food. And while the Egyptians are selling their lives for, for temporary salvation, Joseph gives his family protection for nothing. Coming to Jesus is like that. Because you see, Jesus doesn't treat us like Joseph treats the Egyptians. Jesus adopts us. He treats us as his family. He provides for us everything that we need. That doesn't mean he's going to necessarily give us an an easy time in this world. The Bible's very clear that we will face persecution and that life will be hard. But it means that he brings freedom he brings salvation, and he brings eternal life in him. Unlike Joseph, Jesus doesn't charge for the salvation he offers. He's paid the cost, so all you have to do is reach out to him. Whether you're someone who's, who's failing the test of an easy life who's who's taking advantage of an easy situation and not depending on God, whether you're someone who's who's being downtrodden, who needs to be rescued, or if you're someone that that realises they need to be saved from the world around them, we can come to Jesus now and we can let him change our lives. Let's come to him, shall we? Father God, I want to thank you that you sent your son even though, even though that he didn't need to taste death. He didn't need to come, but he came anyway because he desired uh, uh, more. He desired us to be with you. And Father, I just pray that you help. Uh, I pray that you help set free the oppressed, rescue the oppressed, people who have been treated just like Joseph treated the Egyptians. Lord, I pray you rescue those people. I pray you do that soon, Lord. Amen.